Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a presentation about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Introduction. As I have taught seminary and institute for the last 12 years, I've been asked a lot of questions about the second coming of Jesus Christ. This presentation is an attempt to try to answer my students' questions. Although this is not an official presentation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. If there are any errors in this work, they are the responsibility of the author. There are at least four main events that are the second coming. Jesus will come suddenly to the temple. Jesus will come to the meeting at Adamondayaman in Missouri, USA. Jesus will appear to the Jews on the Mount of Olives at the end of the Battle of Armageddon. And Jesus will come in glory with all the heavenly hosts and the world will be destroyed by fire. So let's look at each of these individually. Jesus will come suddenly to his temple. Jesus has already come to the temple in Kirtland, Ohio. Is that the fulfillment of the prophecy? No. Which temple or temples is he to come to? Jesus will come to two temples, the temple in Jackson County, Missouri, and the temple in Jerusalem. But neither of these temples are built yet, so this is a sign of the approach of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The temple in Independence, Missouri. On the 20th of July, 1831, the Lord told the prophet Joseph Smith, as recorded in Doctrine and Covenants, section 57, verses 1 to 3, that the temple would be built in Jackson County, Missouri. On August the 3rd, 1831, the spot for the temple was dedicated. On December 19th, 1831, the land for the temple was purchased by the church. However, the saints were driven from Missouri before the temple could be built. Today, the land is owned by the Church of Christ. It is not owned by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Since the construction of the temple is a priesthood function, eventually the church will need to purchase the dedicated land and build the temple upon it. The map that was made by Joseph Smith included 24 temples. These temples would be for various purposes, similar to the purposes of the various buildings currently on Temple Square in Salt Lake City, Utah. This is a current photo of the area around where the temple will be built. The area marked Temple Lot is where the land was dedicated for the temple. Elder Charles W. Penrose explained that at the second coming, the Savior will first appear at the New Jerusalem. He said, He will come to the temple prepared for him, and his faithful people will behold his face, hear his voice, and gaze upon his glory. From his own lips they will receive further instructions for the development and beautifying of Zion. Once while Brigham Young was walking through the temple block in Salt Lake City, his thoughts turned to Jackson County. He described what he thought the great temple might look like. Each building would have its own tower, and in the center of the temple complex, there would be a high tower and a square beautified by hanging gardens where the people could meet. A description of the temple to be built. Elder Orson Pratt said, the new Jerusalem temple will not be built according to the pattern of our present temples, but there will be, according to the progress of this people and the knowledge they receive, many features not found in present temples. He also said that the temple in Jackson County would be much larger, very much larger, than any existing Latter-day Saint building. It would not consist of one large hall, as in the tabernacle, but there would be 24 separate compartments. When we build these 24 rooms in a circular form and arched over the center, when we build a temple that is never to be destroyed, it will be constructed after the most perfect order of the celestial worlds. For this purpose, he concluded, we must have prophets in our midst who can receive the whole pattern thereof given by revelation. Elder Wilford Woodruff learned by means of a dream that the glorious Latter-day Temple would be built with the help of heavenly beings. 
I saw a short distance from the Missouri River where I stood twelve men whose hands were uplifted while they were consecrating the ground, and later they laid the cornerstones of the house of God. I saw myriads of angels hovering over them. I saw people coming from the river and from distant places to help build the temple. It seemed as though there were hosts of angels helping to bring material for the construction of that building. Elder Rudger Clausen anticipated that the time will come when we shall have much finer temples. That which is to be built in the center stake of Zion in Jackson County will be far more magnificent than any yet erected. That was said in 1923. The preceding comments were taken from an article called The Great Temple of the New Jerusalem, Dedication of Independence Temple Site by Richard O. Cowan. Among all houses of the Lord, the temple to be built at the center place of Zion will stand supreme. It is destined to consist of a complex of 24 buildings, all dedicated as houses of the Lord. The prophet Joseph Smith further instructed the saints to commence by building Temple Number 5 as the beginning of the city of Zion, which temple was very similar to that built in Kirtland, Ohio. Whether the other buildings will be built before or after the Savior returns remains to be revealed. We will also build the city of Zion in Independence, Missouri. As the kingdom of God on earth is like the stone cut out of the mountain without hands, as mentioned in Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 to 45, which rolled forth until it filled the earth, so is the beginning of the establishment of Zion the commencement of a new covenant community that will likewise fill the earth, in which the citizens are the pure in heart. A great change was and is required for the environs of Independence, Missouri, to become worthy of the divinely appointed appellation Zion. In time, under the direction of his prophets, the city of Zion will be built upon the foundations laid at the dawn of this dispensation. It will be Zion because it is a place of righteousness, declared the prophet Joseph Smith, and all who build thereon are to worship the true and living God, and all believe in one doctrine, even the doctrine of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Bruce R. McConkie said, Let Israel gather to the stakes of Zion in all nations. Let every land be a Zion to those appointed to dwell there. Let the fullness of the gospel be for all the saints in all nations. Let no blessing be denied them. Let temples arise wherein the fullness of the ordinances of the Lord's house may be administered. But still there is a center place, a place where the chief temple shall stand, a place to which the Lord shall come, a place whence the law shall go forth to govern all the earth in that day, when the second David reigns personally upon the earth. And that center place is what men now call independence in Jackson County, Missouri, but which in a day to come will be the Zion of our God and the city of holiness of his people. The site is selected, the place is known, the decree has gone forth, and the promised destiny is assured. What about the temple in Jerusalem? Before the second coming, a temple will be built in Jerusalem. There is debate as to the location of the future temple. Some believe that on the Temple Mount, where the Dome of the Rock now stands, is where the temple must be built. Recent archaeology indicates that the location for the temple may be a little to the south of the Temple Mount. Wherever it is to be built, the Lord will provide more information as the time for its construction approaches. Ezekiel chapters 40 to 47 give the details of the temple to be built if his vision is of the new temple. This is an artist's model of the temple to be built in Jerusalem based on Ezekiel chapters 40 to 47. If indeed the temple is to be the actual temple built, or if the vision that Ezekiel saw is just an idealized temple. Ezekiel 42 verses 15 to 20 indicates that the four sides of the temple lot will be about 500 reeds in length, 
A reed is six long cubits, which is ten and a half feet. That's 5,200 feet on each side. That's not the temple grounds itself, but the temple lot upon which the temple would be built is about one square mile. That's a whole lot bigger than what the temple mount is currently, so we'll see what happens. Some have argued that this temple may only be a, an idealized temple or the temple in heaven. Uh, but notice in this model that uh, the water is coming out from underneath the temple and heading to the east toward the Dead Sea. So we'll see if this is what the temple will actually look like. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, Doctrine and Covenants section 36 verse 8, and Doctrine and Covenants section 133 verse 2 all say, The Lord who shall suddenly come to his temple. Joseph Smith said, Judah must return, Jerusalem must be rebuilt, and the temple and water come out from under the temple, and the waters of the Dead Sea be healed. It will take some time to rebuild the walls of the city and the temple, and all this must be done before the Son of Man will make his appearance. In a conversation between President John Taylor and Baron Rothschild, the following was said, You will build a temple, for the Lord has shown us, among other things, that you Jews have quite a role to perform in the latter days, and that all the things spoken by your old prophets will be fulfilled, that you will be gathered to old Jerusalem, and that you will build a temple there, and when you build that temple, and the time has arrived, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Bruce R. McConkie said, The temple in Jerusalem will not be built by Jews who have assembled there for political purposes as at present, but it will be built by Jews who have come unto Christ, who once again are in the true fold of their ancient shepherd, and who have learned anew about temples because they know that Elijah did come. In other words, temple will be built by Jews that are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Bruce R. McConkie also said, The temple in Jerusalem will be built by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They that are far off, as mentioned in Zechariah chapter 6, they that come from an American Zion, they who have a temple in Salt Lake City, will come to Jerusalem to build there another holy house in the Jerusalem portion of the mountains of the Lord's house. The Sons of Levi Prior to the second coming, animal sacrifices will once again be performed in the new temples. Orson Pratt said, He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. That same fire will rest upon the abodes of those that come into that temple, and they will be filled with fire and the Holy Ghost. They will be purged of all iniquity, and every ordinance that will be administered in that temple will be administered by holy hands, and you will understand and know the meaning thereof. The Lord will reveal these things in their day. He will reveal everything that is needful, so that the knowledge of God may rest upon you, and that there may be no darkness with you. Amen. Joseph Fielding Smith said, It should be remembered that the great temple which is yet to be built in the city Zion will not be one edifice but twelve, probably twenty-four. Some of these temples will be for the lesser priesthood. When these temples are built, it is very likely that provision will be made for some ceremonies and ordinances which may be performed by the Aaronic priesthood, and a place provided where the sons of Levi may offer their offering in righteousness. This will have to be the case because all things are to be restored. The sacrifice of animals will be done to complete the restoration when the temple spoken of is built. At the beginning of the millennium or in the restoration, blood sacrifices will be performed long enough to complete the fullness of the restoration in this dispensation. Afterwards, sacrifice will be of some other character. Joseph Smith said, It is generally supposed that sacrifice was entirely done away when the great sacrifice, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, was offered up. 
and that there will be no necessity for the ordinance of sacrifice in the future. But those who assert this are certainly not acquainted with the duties, privileges, and authority of the priesthood or with the prophets. The offering of sacrifice has ever been connected and forms a part of the duties of the priesthood. It began with the priesthood and will be continued until after the coming of Christ from generation to generation. We frequently have mention made of the offering of sacrifice by the servants of the Most High in ancient days prior to the law of Moses, which ordinances will be continued when the priesthood is restored with all its authority, power, and blessings. These sacrifices, as well as every ordinance belonging to the priesthood, will, when the temple of the Lord shall be built, and the sons of Levi be purified, be fully restored and attended to in all their powers, ramifications, and blessings. This ever did and ever will exist when the powers of the Melchizedek priesthood are sufficiently manifest. Else, how can the restitution of all things spoken of by the holy prophets be brought to pass? It is not to be understood that the law of Moses will be established again with all its rites and variety of ceremonies. This has never been spoken of by the prophets. But those things which existed prior to Moses' day, namely sacrifice, will be continued. Jesus will come to the meeting at Adam on Diamon. Elder Bruce R. McConkie said, Before the Lord Jesus descends openly and publicly in the clouds of glory, there is to be a secret appearance to selected members of his church. He will come in private to his prophet and to the apostles then living, those who have held keys and powers and authorities in all ages from Adam to the present will also be present. And further, all the faithful members of the church then living and all the faithful saints of all the ages past will be present. It will be the greatest congregation of faithful saints ever assembled on planet Earth. It will be a sacrament meeting. It will be a day of judgment for the faithful of all the ages. And it will take place in Davies County, Missouri at a place called Adam on Diamond. So as mentioned here by Elder McConkie, this meeting at Adam on Diamond is going to include all the faithful members of the church, both living and those that have passed before. Uh, and so there will be millions of people at this meeting. And uh, all those that have held priesthood keys will be invited to that meeting to re return their keys uh, to those that gave them all the way back to Adam. And then, and then Adam will then give them to Jesus Christ so that he might have the rightful um, the rightful keys to rule and reign over the earth during the millennium. So this is a meeting that has not yet happened, but will happen, and it will be held in uh, Davies County in, uh, in Missouri. So that's a meeting to look forward to. Joseph Fielding Smith said, Christ will be received and acknowledged as the rightful ruler of the earth. The kingdom will be turned over to Christ, and he will be sustained in his calling as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So during this meeting at Adam on Diamond, one of which, uh, one of the meetings of which will be the sacrament meeting, where we will sustain Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's something exciting to look forward to, isn't it? Before Christ's appearance in glory to the world, Adam, the mighty prince, the archangel, will hold a great conference at Adam on Diamond. Joseph Smith said that Adam will call his children together and hold a council with them to prepare them for the coming of the Son of Man. He, Adam, is the father of the human family and presides over the spirits of all men, and all that have had the keys must stand before him in this grand council. This may take place before some of us leave this stage of action. The Son of Man stands before him, and there is given him glory and dominion. Adam delivers up his stewardship to Christ, that which was delivered to him as holding the keys of the universe, but retains his standing as head of the human family. This great meeting will take place at a location called Adam on Diamond. 
It appears that the assembly to be held at Adam on Diamond may include several meetings or sessions and convene at various times. It may well include the promised sacrament meeting spoken of by the Savior to his disciples at the Last Supper. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is in remembrance of my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for as many as believe on my name for the remission of their sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I shall come and drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And the time that that will be will be at the sacrament meeting held at Adam on Diamond. The Lord revealed to the prophet Joseph Smith that during this sacrament meeting he would partake with Joseph and with Moroni, Elias, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, Adam, Peter, James, John, and also with all those whom my Father hath given me out of the world. That includes us. It is likely that the gatherings will be held during the great tribulations that will precede the Savior's appearance to the Jewish remnant on the Mount of Olives and his appearance in glory to the world. Daniel places the return of Adam before the desolation of abomination or the battle of Armageddon that will take place at Jerusalem. And at that time shall Michael stand up an angel revealed to Daniel, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since, there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered every one that shall be found written in the book. Jesus will come to the Jews at the Mount of Olives. Before Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives to the Jews, there will be a battle where Jerusalem will be surrounded by her enemies. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. That's Zechariah 14, verses 2 through 4. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon, Revelation 16, 16. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand, and I saw the number of them. That's Revelation 9, 16. And that's 200 million people. Charles W. Penrose declared that prior to the glorious coming of the Son of God, the Jews are going to be beleaguered by the nations who threaten the very existence of the Jewish race. Then, according to Zechariah, down through the gates of heaven shall come the Lord Jesus Christ, the captain and king for whom the Jews have wept and prayed so long. And he shall set his feet upon the Mount of Olives, and the Mount shall cleave asunder, and the Jews shall escape destruction. The God of heaven shall then, with the armies of heaven, have judgment upon the wicked, and the wicked shall be destroyed. When Jesus stands before the Jews, they will see the wounds in his hands, and recognizing their Lord and God, they shall say, What are these wounds in thine hands? And then Jesus shall break the hearts of the Jews by saying, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And that nation then, and not until then, shall be born in a day. By the authorized servants of God they shall receive baptism or repentance, they shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and become the children of God their Father and the servants of the great Jehovah. At that time a fountain shall be opened up unto the Jews and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a fountain for the cleansing of sin and iniquity, and that fountain shall be, as it always has been, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Parley P. Pratt said, Zechariah in his 14th chapter has told us much concerning the great battle and overthrow of the nations who fight against Jerusalem, and he has said in plain words that the Lord shall come at the very time of the overthrow of that army. Yes, in fact, even while they are in the act of taking Jerusalem and having already succeeded in taking one half the city and spoiling their houses and ravishing their women. Then behold, their long-expected Messiah, suddenly appearing, shall stand upon the Mount of Olives, a little east of Jerusalem, to fight against those nations and deliver the Jews. Zechariah says, The Mount of Olives shall cleave in twain from east to west, and one half of the mountain shall remove to the north, while the other half falls off to the south, suddenly forming a very great valley into, into which the Jews shall flee for protection from their enemies as they fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah, while the Lord cometh and all the saints with him. Then will the Jews behold that long, long-expected Messiah coming in power to their deliverance, as they always looked for him. He will destroy their enemies and deliver them from trouble at the very time they are in the utmost consternation and about to be swallowed up by their enemies. But what will be their astonishment when they are about to fall at the feet of their deliverer and acknowledge him, their Messiah? Parley P. Pratt said, They discover the wounds which were once made in his hands, feet, and side, and on inquiry at once recognize Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, the man so long rejected. Well did the prophet say, They shall mourn and weep every family apart, and their wives apart. But thank heaven there will be an end to their mourning, for he will forgive their iniquities and cleanse them from uncleanness. Jerusalem shall be a holy city from that time forth, and all the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Rimon, and she shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place. And men shall dwell there, and there shall be no more utter destruction of Jerusalem. And in that day there shall be one Lord, and his name one, and he shall be king over all the earth. Let's turn now to the battle of Armageddon itself. The kings of the whole world will be destroyed in final conflict outside the city of Jerusalem. Armageddon is symbolic of the final overthrow of all the forces of evil by the might and power of God. Elder Bruce R. McConkie said, The ultimate objective of Satan and his armies is not the conquest of northern Israel nor of Jerusalem, but the destruction of the Lord's temple and the Lord's work. Some erroneously conclude that the final battle of the war will be fought at Megiddo or Armageddon. But as Elder McConkie pointed out, the final struggles will center around Jerusalem, though they may extend to Megiddo. At the very moment of the second coming of our Lord, all nations shall be gathered against Jerusalem to battle, and the battle of Armageddon, obviously covering the entire area from Jerusalem to Megiddo and perhaps more, will be in progress. What about the two prophets in Jerusalem? Two prophets will be assigned to go to Jerusalem to defend the city against her enemies. Revelation 11 states, And I will give power unto my two witnesses. Two witnesses fulfills the ancient Israelite law of witnesses. No doubt they will be members of the Council of the Twelve or of the First Presidency of the Church. Their prophetic ministry to rebellious Jewry shall be the same in length as was our Lord's personal ministry among their rebellious forebears. That was by Bruce R. McConkie. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, and that's three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees. They shall provide oil for the lamps of the faithful, testimonies of Jesus Christ. And the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. This may mean that they are in the temple. In section 77, verse 15, it asks, What is to be understood by the two witnesses in the 11th chapter of Revelation? Answer. 
They are two prophets that are to be raised up to the Jewish nation in the last days at the time of the restoration, and to prophesy to the Jews after they are gathered and have built the city of Jerusalem in the land of their fathers. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies, and if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Similar power to Enoch to thwart armies, Moses to issue plagues, and Elijah to seal the heavens. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, like Elijah, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will, like Moses. The two prophets will have the sealing power. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and in half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. The worldwide community will be involved at least emotionally in the slaying of the two prophets. If all the people of the earth are to watch this event, it must be on TV or some other way for the whole world to view it. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and in half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. This earthquake must also be in conjunction with the earthquake that when Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives and divides the Mount of Olives. During the Battle of Armageddon, the two prophets will defend Jerusalem and its people for three and a half years. Then when their mission is done, they will be killed by their enemies. Parley P. Pratt said, John informs us that after the city and temple are rebuilt by the Jews, the Gentiles will tread it underfoot 42 months, during which time there will be two prophets continually prophesying and working mighty miracles. And it seems that the Gentile army shall be hindered from utterly destroying and overthrowing the city while these two prophets continue. But after a struggle of three years and a half, they at length succeed in destroying these two prophets and then overrunning much of the city, they send gifts to each other because of the death of the two prophets, and in the meantime will not allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves, but suffer them to lie in the streets of Jerusalem three days and a half. Just at this moment of great alarm, when it appears that the Jews will be overrun by their enemies, and the death of the prophets who have been defending them occurs, then Jesus will appear on the Mount of Olives. Doctrine and Covenants section 45 reads, And then shall the Lord set his foot upon this mount, and it shall cleave in twain, and the earth shall tremble, and reel to and fro, and the heavens also shall shake. It appears from this verse that this earthquake may be the beginning of the great earthquake that will bring the continents back together, the greatest earthquake the world has ever seen. And the Lord shall utter his voice, and all the ends of the earth shall hear it, and the nations of the earth shall mourn, and they that have laughed shall see their folly. And then shall the Jews look upon me and say, What are these wounds in thine hands and in thy feet? Then shall they know that I am the Lord, for I will say unto them, These wounds are the wounds with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. I am he who was lifted up. I am Jesus that was crucified. I am the Son of God. Jesus will come in the clouds of glory. 
We don't know when Jesus will come again. Instead of giving us a time, the Lord has told us of events to be watching for that will give us an idea that he's coming as soon. There are some authors who have written that there are about 50 to 100 signs of the times that help us see that his coming is soon. Most of the signs have already happened, like the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, the restoration of the gospel, which is still in progress, wars and rumors of wars, and so on. Signs yet to happen include the building of the temples, the two prophets to go to Jerusalem, the battle of Armageddon, and so on. But when will Jesus return? Is the time of his coming fixed, or does it depend on the righteousness or wickedness of the people or of the saints? Elder Bruce R. McConkie said, The time for the second coming of Christ is as fixed and certain as was the hour of his birth. It will not vary as much as a single second from the divine decree. He will come at the appointed time. The millennium will not be ushered in prematurely because men turn to righteousness, nor will it be delayed because iniquity abounds. He knows the set time, and so does his father. Perhaps a Latter-day prophet will hear the divine voice on the day the veil parts and the heavens roll together as a scroll. Will we know before he comes? Paul, in his epistle to the Thessalonians, said that the coming of Jesus would be as a thief in the night, or that he would come when people didn't expect it. But he then went on to say that the saints will know of his coming because they will be watching and will recognize the signs of his coming. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Elder Bruce R. McConkie said, He shall come as a thief in the night unexpectedly and without warning to the world, to those who are in spiritual darkness, to those who are not enlightened by the power of the Spirit. But his coming will not overtake the saints as a thief, for they know and understand the signs of the times. Doctrine and Covenants section 49 verse 7 says regarding the second coming, I the Lord have spoken it, but the hour and the day no man knoweth, neither the angels in heaven, nor shall they know until he comes. This verse makes it sound like no one will know exactly when the second coming will happen until he comes. But is that correct? Let's look at these comments. The Lord said through Amos that surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. So the prophet will be told when the second coming is going to happen to fulfill this scriptural promise. Consider this. Joseph Smith said, Christ says no man knoweth the day or the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Did Christ speak this as a general principle throughout all generations? Oh no, he spoke in the present tense. No man that was then living upon the footstool of God knew the day or the hour. But he did not say that there was no man throughout all generations that should not know the day or the hour. No, for this would be in flat contradiction with other scripture. For the prophet says that God will do nothing but what he will reveal unto his servants, the prophets. Consequently, if it is not made known to the prophets, it will not come to pass. Again, we find Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5th chapter expressly points out the characters who shall not know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh, for says he, it will come upon them as the thief or unawares. Who are they? They are the children of darkness or night. But to the saints, he says, ye are not of the night nor of darkness. As mentioned previously, this revealing to the prophet of his coming may be in connection with the meeting to be held in the temple and at Adam on Diamond.
we will know the season of the second coming. Back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, it states, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Which means that Paul didn't need to explain the season of the second coming because we would know it. Consider a few ideas about the season of the second coming. The holidays and festivals practiced by the Jews as part of the Mosaic law have special significance. Do they hint at the season of the second coming? The Passover and Feast of Tabernacle complex were the most important celebrations to the Jews. The Passover was to commemorate the freeing of the Jews from the Egyptians by the death of the firstborn in Egypt, symbolic of the freeing of us from death and hell by the death of the firstborn. The Feast of Tabernacles we will discuss further. The Feast of Tabernacles complex. I don't want to go into a lot of detail in this presentation about the Feast of Tabernacles or the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, etc., but it is enough to say that they were to signify the great and last sacrifice which would accomplish the infinite atonement of Jesus Christ. It symbolizes a time of repentance, of gathering of the harvest. Also, the various aspects of the celebration point to the future coming of the Messiah. Therefore, the Feast of Tabernacles points us to the second coming of Jesus Christ. This may mean that the timing or season of the second coming will happen in the fall of the year. It's also interesting to consider that with the Passover in the spring and the Feast of Tabernacles held in the fall, the church also celebrates feasts during those times of the year. We call those feasts General Conference. Not a coincidence. So I believe that the second coming will occur in the fall of the year, but what year? I don't know, but there are a couple of signs that we will see to let us know more. Two signs of the second coming. There will be two signs right before the second coming. The removal of the rainbow and the sign of the coming of the Son of Man. Removal of the rainbow. Regarding the rainbow, Joseph Smith said, The Lord set the bow in the cloud for a sign that while it shall be seen, seed time and harvest, summer and winter shall not fail. But when it shall disappear, woe to that generation, for behold, the end cometh quickly. He also said, I have asked of the Lord concerning his coming, and while asking the Lord, he gave a sign and said, in the days of Noah, I set a bow in the heavens as a sign and token that in any year that the bow should be seen, the Lord would not come, but there should be seed time and harvest during that year. But whenever you see the bow withdrawn, it shall be a token that there shall be famine, pestilence, and great distress among the nations, and that the coming of the Messiah is not far distant. The sign of the coming of the Son of Man is the other sign mentioned. In Matthew 24, during the Olivet Discourse, Jesus explained that before his second coming would be seen, as explained in verse 36, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Joseph Smith explained, there will be wars and rumors of wars, signs in the heavens above and on the earth beneath, the sun turned into darkness and the moon to blood, earthquakes in divers places, the seas heaving beyond their bounds. Then will appear one grand sign of the Son of Man in heaven, but what will the world do? They will say it is a planet, a comet, etc. But the Son of Man will come as the sign of the coming of the Son of Man, which will be as the light of the morning cometh out of the east. Will we recognize the sign when we see it? Will the prophet tell us this is the sign? We shall see. I sure hope he does. Orson Pratt said, After the angels have sounded this in the ears of all living, we are informed that there will be a great sign in the heavens. It is not to be limited so that some few only of the human family can see it, but it is said all people shall see it together. At least it is to be like our sun seen over one entire side of the globe and then passing immediately round to the other, or else it will encircle the whole earth at the same time. 
but the bridegroom does not come then. These are only the preceding events to let the Latter-day Saints and the pure in heart know that these are the times that they may trim up their lamps and prepare for the triumphant appearing of their Lord. How to prepare for the second coming. The purpose for telling us about the second coming, the signs and so on, is to help us be prepared when it happens. The parable of the ten virgins is illustrative of that preparation. Doctrine and Covenants section 45 reads, And at that day, when I shall come in my glory, shall the parable be fulfilled, which I spake concerning the ten virgins. For they that are wise, and have received the truth, and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide, and have not been deceived, verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day. Our goal is to be prepared at any time for the second coming. If we maintain the gift of the Holy Ghost in our lives, we will be guided in all we should do to prepare ourselves and our families to abide the day when Jesus returns in the clouds of heaven with all the holy angels. At his coming, everything of a celestial nature will be destroyed by fire. Only those who have at least kept the laws of the terrestrial kingdom will not be burned at his coming. As President Russell M. Nelson said, a necessary prelude to that second coming is the long-awaited gathering of scattered Israel. This doctrine of the gathering is one of the important teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Lord has declared, I give unto you a sign that I shall gather in from their long dispersion my people, O house of Israel, and shall establish again among them my Zion. We not only teach this doctrine, but we participate in it. We do so as we help to gather the elect of the Lord on both sides of the veil. As part of the planned destiny of the earth and its inhabitants, our kindred dead are to be redeemed. Mercifully, the invitation to come unto Christ can also be extended to those who died without a knowledge of the gospel. Part of their preparation, however, requires the earthly efforts of others. We gather pedigree charts, create family group sheets, and do temple work vicariously to gather individuals unto the Lord and into their families. The second coming will be a great and terrible day. The second coming will be terrible to the unrepentant, those who knew right from wrong and chose to do wrong and who had become followers of their own wills only, will be burned at his coming. For them it will be a terrible day. There will be no place to hide from the destruction that will occur. The description given of the destruction is that the heat will be so intense that the mountains will melt and the seas will boil. That's hot. Those who were honorable, good people, who tried to serve their fellow men and keep the commandments of God, will not be burned, and to them it will be a great day. At the second coming will come the first resurrection. At Jesus' resurrection, those righteous saints who had died before Jesus were resurrected when Jesus was resurrected. At the second coming, another large group of the righteous will be resurrected. This is all part of the morning of the first resurrection. Doctrine and Covenants section 88 reads, And the saints that are upon the earth who are alive shall be quickened and be caught up to meet him. And they who have slept in their graves shall come forth, for their graves shall be opened, and they also shall be caught up to meet him in the midst of the pillar of heaven. Orson Pratt said, About the same time that the Latter-day Saints are quickened, not immortalized, there will be saints that have slumbered and slept for ages, and they are to be quickened and taken up into the heavens. The heathen nations must be redeemed, and the way be prepared for the Lord to dwell upon the earth. The mortal saints will then be transfigured and sanctified, but not immortalized. They will be prepared for the millennial reign. This means that those that are translated or transfigured will then have terrestrial bodies in which to live upon the earth, and they'll, they'll live out their mortal lives that way. At this time, the resurrection of those who are celestial will take place. 
Mortals at the time of the Lord's coming who are living celestial law will be quickened and caught up to meet him and those who are already resurrected. President Joseph Fielding Smith taught, This does not mean that those who are living in mortality at that time will be changed and passed through the resurrection, for mortals must remain on the earth until after the thousand years are ended. Rather, their bodies will be prepared to dwell on earth during the Lord's millennial reign, when the earth will be renewed and receive its paradisiacal glory. After this event, they will return to the earth and continue to live as mortals. In other words, they will be terrestrial bodies and mortal upon the earth. Can we determine the timing of the second coming? Doctrine and Covenants section 88 reads, And after your testimony cometh wrath and indignation upon the people. For after your testimony cometh the testimony of earthquakes that shall cause groanings in the midst of her, and men shall fall upon the ground and shall not be able to stand. And also cometh the testimony of the voice of thunderings, and the voice of lightnings, and the voice of tempests, and the voice of the waves of the sea heaving themselves beyond their bounds. And all things shall be in commotion, and surely men's hearts shall fail them, for fear shall come upon all people. And angels shall fly through the midst of heaven, crying with a loud voice, sounding the trump of God, saying, Prepare ye, prepare ye, O inhabitants of the earth, for the judgment of our God is come. Behold, and lo, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. And immediately there shall appear a great sign in heaven, and all people shall see it together. And another angel shall sound his trump, saying, That great church, the mother of abominations, that made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, that persecuteth the saints of God, that shed their blood, she who sitteth upon many waters and upon the islands of the sea, behold, she is the terrors of the earth. She is bound in bundles, her bands are made strong, no man can loose them, therefore she is ready to be burned, and he shall sound his trump both long and loud, and all nations shall hear it. And there shall be silence in heaven for the space of half an hour, and immediately after shall the curtain of heaven be unfolded as a scroll is unfolded after it is rolled up, and the face of the Lord shall be unveiled. Orson Pratt said, After these great judgments are poured upon the nations of the earth, then will be fulfilled the words which I have read. After these angels have flown through the midst of heaven, calling upon the inhabitants of the earth to prepare for the coming of the bridegroom, seven more angels are to sound their trumps. The first one sounds, and his proclamation is concerning great Babylon. There must be something connected with the sounding of this trump that is miraculous in order that all nations may hear it. Any sound that can be produced by mortal man does not reach, generally speaking, over about 30 miles from where it originates, which is a very small space indeed. But there will be something connected with the sounding of the trump of the first of the seven angels, which will manifest a power which we know nothing of. The sound of that trump will be heard by all people, nations, kindreds, and tongues in the four quarters of our globe. I do not know that the sound will be so much louder than some we have heard, but it will be carried by some miraculous power so that all people will hear it. Immediately after the sounding of this trump, there will be silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. Whether the half hour here spoken is according to our reckoning, 30 minutes, or whether it be according to the reckoning of the Lord, we do not know. We know that the word hour is used in some portions of the scriptures to represent quite a lengthy period of time. For instance, we the Latter-day Saints are living in the 11th hour, that is, the 11th period of time. And for aught we know, the half hour during which silence is to prevail in heaven may be quite an extensive period of time. 
During the period of silence, all things are perfectly still, no angels flying during that half hour, no trumpets sounding, no noise in the heavens above, but immediately after this great silence, the curtain of heaven shall be unfolded as a scroll is unfolded. Bruce R. McConkie said, What is meant by the half hour of silence has not yet been revealed. If it is to be reckoned on the basis of the Lord's time of a thousand years to a day, the duration would be some twenty-one of our years. Several scriptural passages equate silence with God's withholding his judgments upon the wicked. When there is silence in heaven, no judgments are sent upon the earth. After the silence in heaven, the scripture says, And immediately after shall the curtain of heaven be unfolded, as a scroll is unfolded, after it is rolled up, and the face of the Lord shall be unveiled. This makes it sound like the second coming will occur immediately following the silence in heaven. Conclusion. We don't know when the second coming will occur. How do we live through the burning of the earth? Elder Bruce R. McConkie said, In the coming day, when the vineyard of the Lord is burned, some few will abide the day, but the masses of men will be destroyed. Only those who are quickened, as were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace of Nebuchadnezzar, shall abide the day of burning. So those who are transfigured or translated will be okay during the burning, and then they will continue to live as terrestrial mortals on earth when the earth is changed into its prior paradisiacal glory. Remember that the earth when it was created was a terrestrial earth, and all life also terrestrial. This meant that nothing could die until the fall of Adam and Eve. When the earth is burned, it will be transformed back into a terrestrial planet, just like it was when it was created. It will be a paradise again. Be not troubled. When Jesus explained the signs of his second coming, he also told his disciples not to be troubled about the events that will occur before his coming. If we take the Holy Spirit as our guide, we will be okay as the prophesied and scary events swirl around us. So be of good cheer. He is returning, and he will return soon. I bear testimony of the truth of these things, that the Savior is going to return, and that we have signs enough to know, and that we will know before it happens. I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.